welcome. I'm Worm. I'm Doe. And I'm Zoe. And this is Dietlo Pass, brought to you by Illicism. <laughs> Pretty sure it's another one, but that's okay. fine. So, Worm, Doe, what have you guys been up to? How are you? <sighs> yeah. I've been zoning out a lot. As, you know what we should do? Hmm. Is just start recording instantly because we get here and we just say everything. Yeah. And then we start recording <laughs> and we're like, oh, we didn't say anything. Everything. We got to say it again. Well, right. do you know what maybe we should do? Maybe for each one, we pick three questions. I got one. Okay. What is your guys's dream vacation? I kind of just took my dream vacation, honestly. It was a good time. A good time oh, okay, well then, what's on your bucket list? <laughs> my uh, my dream is is either New Zealand hmm. or Greece, of course. Just going. I don't like planning anything out. I just like going. Uh, my dream vacation will probably be um going on a European train tour because, like, Ooh. you can start in Amsterdam in the Netherlands take the train all the way down through like germany france italy greece and i think that would be a a good time me and my dad have been talking about that for like the last three four years now about how we want to do just a big european train the the college europe trip yep backpacking through call through through college through college through (laughs) (laughs) you tried that (laughs) (laughs) i did my best Uh, um I'd have to say mine is fuck anywhere. <laughs> anywhere, nice scenery, get kind of off grid so I don't have service so I can just enjoy what's in front of me. Anywhere shady, though. Dude, shady. You, would, Mountain. you would love my aunt's farm. Which one? My aunt in Oregon. Oh. The yeah. one that we went and saw. I, I have a confession. <laughs> <laughs> so after the trip, I came back and grabbed the rest of the stuff out of your trip. Car. Mm-hmm. And I forgot my car is getting 120 degrees during this time. Oh, so now your car smells? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Two days ago, I forgot that I still had the propane tanks in my car. Oh, <laughs> oh no! I took them out though. We're good. I'm alive. It was Could just, have almost blew yeah. up and then act like you don't know mm, nobody. Hop, 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 hop. I might still have one in there. I don't know. Oh, I'll try oh to look <laughs> Yeah, you better because it's going to be like 100 for yeah, a while. Yeah, we're hitting like 100 the next like week. Yesterday mm. it was 106. 100, it got up to 109. Jesus oh, Christ. Oh. I don't know. I was inside, so <laughs> I didn't leave my house. I know, same. I was inside most of the day. A car without an AC. Oh, Damn. Uh, yeah, just buy those fans. <laughs> those giant fans. Yeah. Put a, tr- a turp. Uh, Blow hot air on you. Tr- the big ones. Hold your mic. <laughs> ah! Look, I'm still pretty loud, okay? Is this better, Dad? Yes. <laughs> Shout out to my dad for always uh, correcting us on how quiet Worm is. We're working on it's it. It's constructive criticism. Yes, our number one fan. Also, I'll just out. record separately. Just get a whole new recording. <laughs> yeah, just, just chi- record separately. Just chime in occasionally whenever yeah. there's a pause. Yeah. Also, <laughs> like, shout out to my supervisor for that question because she asked that question in our collaboration, <laughs> and then I thought it was a good one. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just do you know the the backup people that chime in in the Beastie Boys. Just the one word <laughs> every am. now and then. Oh, yeah. sorry. 
<laughs> I said, I said. What? <laughs> Crazy. Come closer Peace. to the mic. Boys. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. We ready to dive in? Yep, let's dive. So today, as our intro said, we're talking about Dietlov Pass, which I feel like is a very well-known case, but every time I bring it up to someone, they're like, what the hell is that? But this is like one of my favorite cases that exists in history it is so good so good we recorded once zoe wanted to do more information on it now we're recording again with double the information basically <laughs> hey i, I want to be thorough this is, a hit or miss. <laughs> this is a good case <laughs> so i was just looking at this last name and i don't know how to pronounce this last name but we're gonna try so to start off all of what we know is thanks to teodora hajiska um and igor pavlov uh, Teodora started out researching this case in 2012 after surviving an incident and a lot of her injuries matched a lot of the uh, injuries we're going to talk about in this case. Um, she said that she was after being hit by a truck, she found out about the case and hasn't saw, stopped trying to find answers ever since about 2012. And then Igor has been investigating since 2009, but his main focus was on the analysis of the archival documents and witness recollections. He was the author of the textual transcripts of handwritten documents of 1959, criminal case files, diary entries, and testimonies. Um, and the testimonies of search for the group members. He unfortunately died, though, June 24th, 2021. And this was taken as a huge loss for the Diet Love research community because he played a huge part in getting basically where I got all my research from. So was he like... The, uh, was he working on the case uh so he wasn't working on the case but he was a big researcher for the case and like trying to bring out more answers for the case because this case was basically shoved under the rug by the russian government and it wasn't publicized until the 70s and this happened like early like late 50s and same with the the first person theodora Yeah. yeah she's she was on expedition unknown and she was she's very passionate about this case so she's just also a researcher too. Yeah, she's also so they're both the head like head researchers for this case and the website that I got most of this information from they created together. And it's still got like current stuff going on with it too. Like I looked on it the other day and it said like happy beloved birthday to one of the uh people that lost their lives during this. Aww. And I was like, Oh, that's sweet. That's a little cute. But so let's get formed in. a community. Yeah. It's a really insightful website and it contradicts a lot of what the russians said and a lot of what actually happened it's very resourceful and i like how she kind of gives both insights so she'll be like okay here's what they said and here's what actually happened Mm -hmm. and they've just gathered all this information over the last like 10 years and it's insane how publicized this case is now in russia interesting so let's jump into it In 1959, 10 hikers decided to go hiking through the Siberian wilderness, but this story is only going to consist of the main nine because number 10 left early on January 30th due to a sickness and inflamed sciatic nerve. It's been 63 years since the case was first opened, and it wasn't until 1970 that the Soviet Russians had even made this case fully public. The Russian government decided to reopen it due to new outstanding evidence in 2019, but because of the war, the progress has been slow coming. Uh, the evidence shows that officials knew about the disappearances weeks before they even started looking for them. Uh, the hikers had all died between February 1st and February 2nd of 1959. Before the hikers left, they had stated that they would send a telegram when they returned. 
The search party they sent out was on the 21st of February, even though they had already been missing for 10 days. A document was found from one of the prosecutor's wives and that states that they actually knew about the tent being discovered as of the 15th instead of the 26th. Uh, yet the case has been opened, had been opened since the 6th of February. Uh, this document that was found would be nothing if not for the date, February 26th. The number two, if you look at the document, looks almost alien and kind of falls out of the general picture of it. And it's unlike the regular style and rhythm of what was written. So it just looks very, very different. Um, the number two correcting themselves was added later after the rescuers arrived at the scene of the tragedy and the first bodies were found. And this, by the way, is considered an official forgery. So due to this document resurfacing, it almost changes the entire story that the Soviets originally had, claiming that they didn't know that the group was dead until the 26th. But as I've said the last three sentences, um, a, doc a criminal case was opened as of the 6th with knowledge of the deaths. Do you know what I was dun, thinking? Dun, dun. During this time, so much was happening in Russia. Because that was another yeah, time the Cold where War we... Was going on. It froze my brain for me. They, they had that going on. We, they had a lot of different. Oh, a little bit after World War Three, right? That's what it did. No. World War Two. Two. Whatever. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm in constant fear. We're in World War Three right yeah. now, baby. Practically. But uh, so much is happening. Like it was a little bit after atom bombs and stuff, which they were fighting mm -hmm. hard for. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it might have just been pushed aside. Because I think it was still pretty big in Russia, but they had so much going on that I think just because of that, a lot of information was lost. Mm -hmm. There's a clicking. Yeah, that's click, all. Click, 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 click. So attorney Ivdel Svevlovsk, uh, region junior counsel of justice, was head of the search party, and he was the one that found the first two bodies. In the last group diary entry on January 30th, 1959, uh, Igor spoke about how they could be so comfortable in the tent with no civilization for miles and the wind howling outside. <laughs> you sure about that? Maybe. Are you sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> so let's get over what was found inside of the tent. Um, among the items that were found were cameras, camping supplies, medicine, first aid kits, and backpacks, just typical stuff that you take. Uh, there was also toys that they brought them. There was a rubber bear, a hedgehog that belonged to Rustum. Yuri Krivonashenko also had a toy bear found in his stuff from the tent. Eight pairs of shoes had been left in the tent, so basically everyone besides Semyon was found to only have socks on. All of them ran out of the tent after slicing holes from the inside of the tent. And you can look these pictures up online. It's one of the most iconic pictures is that the tent. Uh, the only reason a lot of the clothing and item were identified was because of Yuri Yudin, the only survivor of this group. And we'll touch on him later and his thoughts and feelings on being the last person to see his friends alive. But for now, we're going to get into the stuff that everyone came here for, which is the bodies and the injuries. Woo! So close to a mile away from the camp in a nearby forest, the first two of the nine hikers were found somewhere around the 26th of February, allegedly. Yuri Krivonashenko and Yuri Doroshenko were both found huddled together in nothing but their underwear under a cedar tree with burn marks going up the trunk, showing that they did try to start a fire to keep warm. Yuri Doroshenko was 21. He was known for having an impulsive personality and was famous for, at the school's hiking club for having a run-in at a giant bear with a geologist's hammer while on a camping trip. Hmm. I was reading the story on that when I was doing the research, and this dude really like just saw a bear, took his geology hammer, and started chasing it. 
It's Russian. I was gonna say <laughs> Russia. There's a mother of Russia. He had, he had places to be. Okay, they're Russian. Apparently. He didn't have time for that crap. Okay, he nope. had places to be. School to go to, <laughs> classes to be in. So he was found wearing a checkered shirt, pants, a knitted vest, blue trunks, blue shorts. On his right foot, though, he only had an elastic band left on it, and that's kind of implying that he put his feet straight into the fire. His left foot had a pair of woolen socks on them with burn marks around the toes. His body was found holding his arms to his chest, and his head was turned. The way his body was described in the autopsy was that he looked frozen in time, aside from the post-mortem coloring he had. There were blood clots all around his nose and his lips. He had scratches up and down his arms. Those were the only injuries that he really sustained, though. His death was concluded to be due to hypothermia based on how his organs looked when they did the autopsy on him. Yuri Krivonoshenko, 23. Uh, He was a close friend of Igor. He died five days before his 24th birthday. He worked at the Mayak secret nuclear enterprise, and it is believed that he was a KGB recruit. He was found wearing a blue checkered shirt. In the outside pocket is a coil of copper wire and pink silk silk ribbon. Under the checkered shirt is a white undershirt with white long underwear. The bottom left half of the long underwear is missing up to the knee. The edge was torn and charred from the fire. Under the long underwear were blue satin shorts. On the left leg is a torn cotton sock where it was burned around the edges. He was found in a fetal position with his arm covering his head and another clutch to his chest. He had some cuts that were found on the side of his face. He also had some cuts and wounds around his nose and swollen lips similar to Doroshenko. Krivonoshenko had cuts all over his hands and thighs as well as burns on his forearms. On his knuckles, it appeared he bit a piece off to keep himself awake in his final moment. The conclusion of his death was also hypothermia based on his... uh, how his organs were when they did the autopsy on him. Um, the position that they had been found in looked almost like they were trying to find their way back to camp. The only upside to this is that they didn't die alone. So they knew that they were with each other when they died. Unless if they were like in some like crazed state where it was just insanity. Because it's crazy how, I don't know, like that just, it seems like they like went Like how they were crazy. found. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's an upside if everybody was there because it could have been just like they could have been feeding off of each other and everything. But I think like in that final dying moment, it probably gave them closure that like at least I'm not alone. Yeah, and we're gonna get into a little bit of that later in this uh, either this episode or the next episode. We'll see what we have time for. Oh yeah, this is a two parter. (laughs) I don't think we mentioned that. Yeah, this we got a lot of research to get through. There's a lot of information to this case. (laughs) So the next three were found between the cedar tree and the tent. They were just a few feet away from the other two. Igor Dietlov was for whom the case the pass is named after now. He was 23 years old and he was a leader of the trip. He was remembered for taking a makeshift portable radio with him on trips, but in 1959 this was rare to have in general for that time and place. He accomplished many expeditions prior. He was found Wearing a blue sweater, checkered shirt, blue vest, brown ski pants, dark green sweatpants, black underwear, one white sock that was torn, two cotton socks, and a watch that had 5.31 a.m. as the time that it stopped at at that night. He was found in a fetal position, and he had some cuts around his arms and legs as well. His death, because of his organs, were also ruled as hypothermia. Did they all have that determined of death? No. 
Okay, I was gonna say, I feel like they're gonna say that it was that, but it was probably said way more. No, we're gonna get into it. Um, so Zenaida Kolmogorov, uh, she was 22. She had gone on six expeditions with Igor, and there was a photo of her found in Igor's notebook. It was thought that they had feelings for each other and were romantic towards one another. Considering how close they were, the suspected romance was there. She was also interested in radios and went to the same engineering school at UPI as Igor. She was found wearing her blue sweater. Uh, Beneath that was a knitted blue striped undershirt, checkered shirt, blue long sleeve, blue training pants, knitted leggings, fleece, uh, skating tights, brown socks with fur, as well as extra thick socks that she had. A red hat was underneath her blue hat. And... Just on an off note, so when I was doing the research for this, uh, the way that they performed the autopsy on her body seemed off and makes me pretty mad because you can tell that some horny man was doing this because uh, with the previous men, they didn't say anything about how their uh, extremities felt, but with Zenaida, they noted how her breasts were dough-like and how her hymen felt. Oh. Oh. Why? They, she is the only person in the autopsy report that they noted that on. They didn't mind note it in Ludmila. No one else. Is she the only female? Or how many no, females was there? Uh, there was, so it was two two females and the rest were guys. And the, she was the only female that they did that to? Yeah. That it was, she was the only one that it was noted in her autopsy what those felt like. Nasty. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just getting my Beastie Boy, uh... (laughs) Nasty. 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 So, after they had examined her like that, um, even though they had already looked at all of her organs and stuff, after they fondled the corpse, they finally were able to rule it, quote-unquote, as hypothermia. But they could have avoided all of that and not even done anything with the corpse once they looked at her liver and her heart to determine that it was hypothermia. The only noted, uh injury that she had was a bruise that looked like it was from a batten on her hip so the last of the three that were found in this was rustam or rustic slobodin he was 23 his parents worked in asia when he was born they were both professors and gave him an asian name rustam or rustic as he was referred to he graduated from upi university in 1958 but his body wasn't found until march 5th because of the heavy snowfall that time a year, and he was further up to the camp than Igor and Zenaida. He was found wearing a black sweater, checkered shirt. Uh, they found a pen in the pocket of his shirt, his passport, 310 rubles, socks under the gray shirt, and against it was a singlet. He had ski pants beneath blue sweatpants, warm pants, and get this, even more pants. <laughs> he had four pairs of pants on. It's no wonder he couldn't walk. <laughs> He's trying to stay warm. But do you know what that reminds me of? I'm pretty sure it's mm-hmm. not even related. But you know, like, those people that have the pant fetishes? <laughs> where they will put on <laughs> layers and layers and layers and layers of, like, pants, shorts. Yeah, that's just what that reminded me of. But I'm pretty sure that's not what it was. But. I don't think so. <laughs> um sorry (laughs) they also found a pocket knife in the ski pants a comb and a pencil on his right leg was a boot and four pairs of socks on the left foot was just socks uh the boot and his other boot was missing in slobodin's jacket 
there were three letters concerning Bianco, which was another person that was supposed to come onto the trek with them in the pocket. And they found that in the pocket of his ski pants. And there was also a letter from the trade union dated January 20th, 1959. His autopsy stated that everything was normal in accordance with dying of hypothermia. That is just like the others. He had a bloody nose and lips. He had blunt force trauma to his head, but it's theorized that someone hit him to put him out of his misery. What if they all were in that state of hysteria, craziness, that they attacked each other? And then, this is just like a theory, because I haven't... I yeah. think this might be a theory, so you might be spoiling what we have. Because I think there's something similar <laughs> to that, where it's like a guy getting jealous, or maybe I'm mixing In this? Else. Yeah. Of just like in this, this story? specific conversation that I have, and this guy getting jealous of her woman or something, right? I don't know. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Don't you worry. (laughs) Well, okay, this is my theory because I just... So, what if they did do that? Well, okay, that makes sense because the guy was jealous. But I'm saying that they're all in a state of hysteria that maybe they thought that the other person was some, like, monster, creature, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so they would attack each other, and then that's how they all died. And then, like, that last part where they all die... That's the um, thinking, like kind of having that moment of peacefulness and being like, "Well, at least I'm not alone. I have all my buddies here, but they're already dead." I'm but they were alone. all found we all in separate spots, other. huh? They were all found in separate spots, so they didn't I know, die that's, like in a big group. That's what I'm saying. Oh, though, is okay. that because their final moments of dying? You know, one person could have been like, "Oh, I, at least I'm not alone, and all my friends are here. The people that I came here with are here," but they're all already dead. Mm-hmm. So, I'll never know. And that's what makes me mad. If I had a time machine, I would go back and see what the hell happened to this case. Just in the bubble. What's that? What's that movie? Uh, the Slaughter Slaughterhouse Five. I haven't that seen book. it in so long. Maybe, I don't even remember. Uh, it kind of just looks at time differently. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's like aliens that like do time not linear. Linear. It's like yeah. yeah. Like time travel, bring things down to show people. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, that's just what I was. Yeah, just to show up and see. I want to see. No, see if yeah. I have free tickets. Let's go. I have tickets to (laughs) DL Pass. Let's go. Let's fucking send it. (laughs) So these first three bodies. Sorry, (laughs) sorry. Continue. (laughs) He said he has a discount. I have a discount to DL uh, DL Pass. If you type in <laughs> use code use code ellipsism on your next intergalactic travel. Wendy, we'll get there. We'll 2023. be sponsored. We'll be sponsored by time travelers. This I'm telling you now. Y'all hear me? I know you're already listening. <laughs> <sighs> okay. So these first three bodies had minimal external and internal damage other than what the cold inflicted on them. They had some minor scrapes and cuts, but that's about it. There had been two months that had gone by before anyone even found the remaining four of the hikers. The search for the remaining didn't start until the snow melted in May. A Manzi native named Kirakov was with his dog when he noticed some cut branches that were forming sort of a trail. And so they followed it about 50 meters from the cedar tree. They found some black sweatpants that were cut uh, on the right pant leg. Although authorities had already searched this area with an avalanche probe, the snow was deeper than they had initially thought. 
and it didn't reach the bodies due to how just absolutely buried they were by snow. Did it say like how much of snow there it didn't. was? I couldn't find it. Do you know what I was thinking? But it was trouble. enough snow that it missed that the avalanche probe couldn't get to the bottom. Um, this is just a thought irrelevant but it's relevant i was just thinking of like russian names there's always a yuri right but mm-hmm. i was thinking like how common names are do you know how many names came from the name john how many names <laughs> there are just from john so many so many that are uh, i had to find the like tier list that this person made but there's so many people that you wouldn't think came from the name John, John, but through different languages and stuff and adaptations through time. That's it. Russia. <laughs> yeah. Russia. So this next part of the pass, it was nicknamed the Dietlov Den. There's a lot of questions that still remain as to why the efforts of these people to survive didn't work. The biggest question is, where is the knife that was used to cut all the branches to burn the two separate fires? So only one knife was really discovered they still don't know where that second one is the den was made by the surviving four members of the group about 70 to 75 meters from the cedar tree in a ravine that was keeping them hidden from the cold winds that being said it leads to disprove the theory of paradox undressing which for those who don't know what paradox undressing is it's where you get so cold you end up feeling extremely hot and it feels like you need to take off all your clothes to cool down Everyone who was found had such significant damage to their bones that it was compared to being hit full force by a car. The bodies weren't found in the den. They were found a few feet from it in a deeper part of the ravine. Three out of the four that had been found had sustained fatal injuries. Ludmila Dubnina was 20. She was buried on her 21st birthday, and she was the youngest of the group. In her last diary entries, she expressed a lot of anger and was upset about something that we still don't have answers to. The diary records say, quote, this is in complete agreement with the opinion of O. Aripov. And another quote, well, it is known that Ludmila was sharp on the tongue and principled. She would not keep her mouth shut, end quote. This peculiarity of Ludmila's character is confirmed in her personal diary entry the day before the hikers had arrived in the village of Versailles, January 24th. Yes, I generally like to add fuel to the fire. Damn me, she says. The negativity, the negative, the negative phrase uh, was recorded on paper could some way, quote, program its further actions. And this was confirmation of the mental state of Ludmila was uh, confirmation of the mental state of Ludmila. We find in her notes in her personal diary entry the day after her ordeals as an attendant in the so-called hotel in the village of Versailles, quote, January 26th. Mood is bad and probably will be for two more days. Evil as hell. In example, even the next day. Is that the John list? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just slowly showing though just the list of that came from John. This oh all my God. those names came from John. Jesus Christ. It just keeps going. We're gonna keep going. Keep going. Y'all, I, Name a few. I'm in an area that I can't pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> all right, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> We're getting all serious, and then you two just bust out laughing. Over 142 rows of, like, five names on each row. (laughs) So a lot. That's over 500 names right there. Came from the name John. John. (laughs) We'll have to do an episode on the name John. (laughs) Just just listing listing off all all of them. them. (laughs) We could do it. Your name. Your name is John. 
<laughs> this is your name. Like even it's Ivan John. and Evan and Joanna came from John. Well, that one's obvious, but yeah, Joanna. So, sorry. <laughs> so Ludmila's injuries were the most horrific. She was found in a kneeling position, as if praying for mercy. She was found wearing her long socks, two pairs of pants. The external pair was badly damaged by a fire and ripped. She also wore a small hat, two pairs of warm socks, and in the last attempt to preserve her feet is what we're guessing. She took off her sweater, cut it into two pieces, and wrapped one around her foot. Another half she left or dropped unintentionally in the snow. When her body was further examined, the soft tissue was missing around her eyes, her eyebrows, nose bridge, and left cheekbone was partially exposed. Damaged tissue around the left side of her head, her eye sockets were found empty, as well as semyons, so we aren't sure what happened to them. Most speculate that it was caused from small wild animals or murder. The nose cartilage was broken and flattened. Soft tissue of her upper lip was missing, as well as her teeth and upper jaw were exposed, and her tongue was missing. Uh, let me stop real quick, because I have a question. What do you think it was? Do you think it was small animals, or do you think it was someone? I think that someone did it to her. I think it's a mixture of both. Because, listen to what I'm about to read. So, ten of her ribs were broken, two fracture lines were visible, there was a massive hemorrhage in her heart's right atrium, and bruises on her left thigh. In Ludmila's autopsy, it is apparent that they didn't follow her corpse as much as they did to Zenaida. It's noted that the stomach contained about 100 grams of dark brown mass. By some indication, it appeared that her heart was still beating and flowing when her tongue was removed from her mouth meaning that there is still a very high chance that she was alive when that happened. When her tongue was removed? Yeah. Oh, so something or someone took out her tongue? Because they can't find that other knife either. I wonder if this was just like a, just this brawly man who came through. That's what I think. Happened to be like there. Like just this random man, yeah. murderer guy? Yeah. You guys are spoiling the theories. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think it's good to have theories because it's like, yeah, we're learning we as we go. Know. Yeah. Just don't say that. Then we know. <laughs> Her death. I think my theory is redacted. Okay. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. Her death was concluded to be caused by massive, massive hemorrhage into the right ventricle of her heart, multiple rib fractures and internal bleeding into the thorac cavity. Although her autopsy was the most vague compared to the others. Like I said in the intro, she was found on a rock in a position as if praying for mercy from whatever or whoever she encountered in her final moments. Because, yeah, her autopsy is, when I was doing the research, her autopsy is very vague compared to the rest of them. Because I left out a lot of stuff that they talk about in the autopsy, like just little minute details. But hers is like just a paragraph. Everyone else's is like half a page. What if, what if it wasn't somebody and they were just so hysteric and crazy that she cut they out were, her own tongue. That they were attacking themselves. Arctic hysteria. All right, now we're getting into Semyon Zolotaryov. He was 38 and the oldest of the group. And this guy boggles my mind. He was very confusing on his background for a few different reasons. He asked to be called Alexander, not Semyon. In the documents, he sometimes wrote that he was born February 1st. Other times, it was February 2nd of 1921. According to the registry of Yubodny, uh, his native village, his birthday is March 1st. 
In addition, there were also discrepancies in the number of siblings he had, which doesn't really matter, but why would you lie about how many siblings you have? Uh, During the admission to the party in 1949, he lied about his military award, saying that he had the Order of the Red Star and the Medal for for Courage, but in his service record, uh, there were medals for defense of Stalingrad for the capture of Kozingberg and for the victory over Germany, but for courage is not on the list. Hmm. He was known to have a lot of tattoos and gold cap teeth. His tattoos consisted of images of a five point star, strange shapes like the beats heart fire. And it's spelled like beats B E E T S. Uh, the name Guena, his birth year, 1921 and a Russian word Vermuslin. He also had GSP equals D, uh, which was very common around Soviet soldiers who served together for a long time. He had the Russian letter V, or D in English, and he also had Medpushpa, which was Russian for friendship. The three letters were the first letters of the three soldiers. C stood for Kim, or Semyon in Russian. The other two names are still unknown. Uh, when we have the individual letters C next to a star and a beats heart fire. He died on his 38th alleged birthday. He had severe chest injuries, but that was thought to have happened due to the amount of snow that he was found buried under. Semyon was found wearing Dobnina's hat and faux fur coat. He was also found wearing a fur winter hat, red ski cap, a checkered scarf, another blue and brown scarf. There was also a ski mask found with a very worn waistcoat. He was found with a sports jacket, a black sweater, a blue long sleeve shirt underneath a red t-shirt, a khaki denim romper, and inside his pockets was a little weird. They found an onion bulb and some coins. Onion's so weird to me. I don't know why. Just have, it's not like even a full onion. It's Just an onion bulb. Just a uh, snack. A light snack. Not easy to find during winter. Yeah. If you dig and stuff. But if you brought that with him, what was he planning? Stinky. <laughs> A little snack. Yeah. Unless it's like single unless bulb, how long were they gonna be out? Unless it's his like thing, like weird thing for like good luck, safety, protection. I think that might be something. I think that might be a thing. I'll I'll look into it myself because I I just wanna know. I think yeah. (laughs) I didn't think about that until this moment where I'm like good luck charm. Everyone has their weird thing. It didn't work. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. God, don't you think that's a little too soon? <laughs> Almost a hundred years too soon. <laughs> he also had black boots with brown socks on both of his feet. There was one sock on the right foot and two stitched together on the left foot. His injuries were similar to Ludmila and on the more extreme side, but because they did wait until early spring to find his body, a lot of his injuries may have been from animals or other elements. Um, like I said, when I was talking about Ludmila, his eyes were missing out of his skull. Hmm. Did they, did they, could they pinpoint whether that happened before his death or after, or if mm-hmm. it's... It didn't say. That's why they think it was animals that ate their eyes. Maybe, yeah. He was missing a lot of the soft tissue around his See? eyebrows and his bones were exposed. There was a huge open wound on the side of his head. Following that, he had five broken ribs and two fractures. His cause of death was determined to be from several broken ribs and a hemorrhaging of the right pleural. Uh, a pleural is the thin layer of tissue that covers the lungs and lines the interior of the chest cavity. 
week for real. I actually don't know. I feel like. Huh? Uh, <laughs> what? Can you come closer to the mic? <laughs> I'm not even saying anything. <laughs> I was just trying to chime in with something, okay? Yeah, and I can hear you. Thank you. <laughs> I can hear you loud and clear now. Next up, Alexander <laughs> Kolotov was 24. He was a fourth-year student of nuclear physics, so he would have worked with radiation and had contaminated clothes. He was well-educated, had security clearance to even live in Moscow at this time, even though it was prohibited to most people. He made almost double in ruble than most citizens. When the war started in 1941, his family was put into a camp inside of the Gulag, where the Kolotovs stayed, and it became one of the first camps for Germany and one of the most uh, horrible ones. The body of Alexander Kolotov was found well-insulated, but he was missing a hat and shoes. His torso was protected by a short-sleeved shirt, long-sleeved shirt, sweater, fleece sweater, ski jacket, and his body had some extreme injuries, but not as extreme as the last two that we just talked about. Uh, he was missing soft tissue around his eyes and his eyebrows like the other two. His skull was very openly exposed. His nose appeared to be broken, but due to how he was found, they aren't really sure if it was caused by snow or not. He had an open wound down to the bone behind his ear, a deformed neck, which could have been from post-mortem or how he died. The autopsy examiner said it could have gone both ways, but most likely he was killed by another force. He had bleeding in the tissue in his left knee and soft white skin on his fingers and feet, meaning that he died in a very wet environment and was there for quite a while before they found him. Nicolay uh, Thibault Bringol, or Thibault, was 23. Thibault was the last body to be found, and prior to his death, he had experience in hiking trips of various categories and difficulties. He was very popular among UPI students and members of the sports club. Everybody who knew Thibault noted his, his energy, inventiveness, friendliness, and humor, um, and was the last of the bodies that were, the nine bodies that were found. He was found wearing a green hat, a fur helmet material over it, a green jacket, a pair of gloves. They found coins and two folded pieces of paper with a comb in his pockets. He had a worn out blue shirt. Thibault was known to wear two watches and was found with both of them. One stopped ticking at 8.14 a.m. and the other at 8.39 a.m. One thing, because I don't get watches really, was it during the time it was just, why does that matter too much? Like, it's interesting, but yeah. a clock, a watches aren't, like, connected to your your life where the moment you die, mm -hmm. it stops. That it just got wet, cold, I don't know, yeah. gross. But, and I was True. just, it's fascinating to know, but I feel like a lot of stories have just the time that they stopped, but they're not significant, at least not. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a thought. Yeah, I didn't think of it like the cold or it got wet or like something happened. Because it probably stopped due to just how frigid it got. It and it didn't stopped. have that body heat to keep it going. Well, it could have stopped before. before. Yeah, like maybe they didn't even know it Cause stopped. Because Igor stopped at uh, like 5.30 in the morning. And this was like a few hours later. Yeah. Cool information, but irrelevant in my opinion. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. Um, his legs were covered with uh, 
new gray boots. Both legs had wool socks paired with brown socks that sunk that were tied to his shoes. He also had on winter pants. Under these were blue long pants. Found in his pockets was a metal watch chain. In his autopsy, everything was fairly standard regarding his major injuries. He had multiple fractures to the temporal bone on the side of his head that was also extended to the front of his head. Thibault also suffered from bruising on the left side of his on the left side of his lip and major hemorrhage in his lower forearm. The person who performed the autopsy theorized that he died from falling and hitting his head. But with the injuries like the last two, it was comparable to being hit with a car at full speed. The corporal damage of the soft tissue in the area of his head and the bath skin of the extremities are the result of post-mortem changes in the body. Uh, he was found, Thibault was found submerged in water for some time. The de- And they ruled this in his autopsy. The death of Thibault was a result of violence. So for sure, he was not killed by the elements. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. For sure. And finally, let's talk about Yuri Yudin, the only survivor who left early due to his sciatic nerve being inflamed. Wait, was there a camera? Was there a camera? Yes. Is that what we're about to get into? No. Okay. I was just <laughs> I can never remember what point or who had the camera or if it was like really good. They any they all had cameras. Oh yes. I know there's a camera, okay. <laughs> So Yuri Yudin died in 2013 at the age of 75. Um, Sorry, I want to make sure I get all of this correct. Just cut out this dead air. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're going to be talking about what Yuri Yudin felt and went through knowing he was the last person to see his friends alive. After losing his best friend, Ludmila, he kept a teddy bear she had given him. She gave him this toy shortly before her death, and it was the last time that he would see her. Up until his death, he would talk about the guilt he would feel every year on February 2nd. He told interviewers that I should have been with you when he would visit their graves. Maybe things would have been different if he would have continued on with them. He said he was also a firm believer that they did not die due to the elements. He had theorized that they were victim of tests of super powerful weapons. After all, in a location not so far from the past was a military testing ground. Oh, that makes sense. That does make sense. But I don't think it was weapons. I mean, maybe just crazy military guys. Biological weapons. Biological. Well, I go crazy. Go stupid. And we're also going to be touching on the was supposed to be 11th member. His name is Vladislav Bienko, uh, he was supposed to be the 11th re- member, but was replaced by Semyon because Vladislav didn't do enough community service to be given the pass to make this trek. He was given basically an immediate no-go. Around the 26th of February, when no one had heard from the group, Bienko was telegrammed to come in for questioning on the route and if it was urgent to find the group. And reading this, just a summary, he basically said, yeah, they should have run out of buy food by now for the trek. We should probably start looking for them. This next paragraph is a quote from his interview in 2013. Quote, And no one knows the exact route of the expedition except for me. They didn't take me to any of the rescue groups, considering that I could be more useful at the search headquarters. I became an eyewitness to such a rapid organization of large-scale searches, and now it seems unreal. End quote. Military. Military. 
I truly think they should have taken him in the first place. And that's what makes me think this was a cover up because why wouldn't you take someone who knows the exact route? Exactly. Yeah. Military, military. They'll keep it away. KGB, I tell you what. <laughs> I tell you what. <sighs> interesting. Very, very interesting. Yeah. So, little short but sweet episode. This has been part one on Diet Love Pass. Do you guys have any final thoughts for what you've been hearing so far? Any theories? I don't want to say theories yet because theories will be part two. I don't want to, I guess, spoil What's too much. What's your opinion? What are you theory? feeling right now? I feel like one of the theories could be. But I also I was thinking, this is my thought earlier. It's not a theory. It's just they all are wearing something blue. And I think that's what did them. Blue. The color blue. <laughs> no, just they're all wearing something blue. Like Never they have so many blue. layers and there's not a Rah! There's not uh <laughs> a lot of other descriptive colors. Like I know during like the time the Brown only... and blue. Yeah. But it's just weird. That's just what I noticed. Like there is other colors but specifically for hiking and stuff or might only be blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well we also have to think of like the time mm-hmm. i think you said that earlier but yeah i get i get your point everyone's wearing blue i think it was well now i think it's the military <laughs> <laughs> i think the military has to do with part of it not all of it but part of it maybe the last final moments because i mean you gotta think about it russia's brutal yeah. country <laughs> this is another time where they're being secretive again mm-hmm. yeah so not a lot of information's coming out that's why a lot of this came out 20 years later right yeah just about shy 20 years yeah so and it to keep, could be and to keep information like what's it i don't know how to say his name not taking him when he knows yeah the exact route he knows Didn't he, he knew that they would have ran out of food by now he knew the route everything told them that they didn't do anything with that information. And not to mention the paperwork that said that it was opened as of the 6th of February, which was just a couple days after they were considered dead. But allegedly they didn't find them until the 26th. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't... Not to play devil advocate, but they could have found them earlier but not had the resources quite yet with what was going on. Yeah. yeah so true. they waited, but they already had that documented, so they still use that as a, like... Yeah, that's true. Initiation to search more, mm-hmm. and then forgot to like change the date to be like, oh, we were right on this. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, we we won't know. We won't. What know. do you guys think? What are your this podcast is about questions, not answers. Yeah, there's going to be more questions than answers in this podcast episode. All right, is that it? Yeah, this has been part one on Diet Love Pass. Uh, I'm going to plug our socials. You can find us on Ellipsism Podcast on Facebook, Ellipsism Pod on Instagram, and what was our Twitter? Ellipsism Pod. I think I think everything you can still just find us. Yeah, we're Ellipsism Podcast. We're like the only Ellipsism out there. You'll be able to find yeah. us. Uh, shoot us with your question, with your theories of what you think happened, and. I doubt your questions will be answered in the next episode. But or if we missed something. Yeah. That's or if we missed some information, please let us know. We're, st- we're still learning to research. <laughs> we're learning. We're just a baby. 
And this is has been ellipsism. Signing, uh, signing off. Get home safe. <laughs> Get Texas home safe. when you're home. <laughs>